0: This is a LifeGate Church podcast. Tune in to hear from our team as we encourage you to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers. If you want to find out more about who we are, visit lifegate.org.au. Yeah, as as Christy said, my name's Alex. I'm the service pastor along with my wife at our Preston's campus. Um, My wife's name's Laura and we have a baby toddler. His name's Isaiah. He's 16 months now. Um, yeah, he's, he's great. He doesn't do a whole lot during the service at the moment, except he screams at inappropriate times or throws books at the stage. Occasionally, he slaps my face. But that's all right. It keeps me awake. Um, I've got a question for you guys this morning. Has something ever happened to you that made you think, that's not right? Every day, yeah. Last year gave us plenty of opportunities for this-can't-be-right moments. For example, we saw, we saw a worldwide virus. It, it literally changed the way that countries operate. And we saw empty supermarket shelves. We saw people getting into fist fights over toilet paper. We saw riots and looting in America. But then even more recently... In Australia, we've seen record-breaking floods. Floods that caused this house to float away. And then there were also reports of thousands of spiders crawling up people's fences to take refuge from the floodwaters. This can't be right. I I thought that was made up, but apparently it's a thing. I had a this-can't-be-right moment myself a couple of weeks ago. I was putting my son Isaiah for, to bed for his afternoon nap. I put him down and, I, and then I left the room and I, I thought, you know what, I'm a bit peckish. I think I'll grab a, a nice balanced snack, some chocolate, some chips. Yes. And I sat down on the lounge, I had it all lined up, ready to go. But then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to check the camera to see how Isaiah going at putting, putting himself to sleep. And I saw this. That's not a nap. <laughs> and you know what I thought to myself? This can't be right. But then, what you don't see, he sits down, and then I see him trying to pick something up off the mattress, and I look closer, and it's, it's a brown dot. I'm like, I didn't put anything brown in there. And then I look more closely, and there's more brown dots around. I'm like, that's, that's weird. So I walk into the room, because of all the jumping, He's, his nappy has leaked, the Poo's on his pants, there's, poo's on, there's poo on the mattress, poo on the bars of the cot, and then he's got some on his hand and he's trying to eat it. So I'm thinking, this can't be right, I'm supposed to be eating chocolate and chips right now, instead I'm cleaning poo and washing all these things. But uh, we love him, he's great, he's great, he's lots of fun. But I did have a much more serious this-can't-be-right moment, about seven years ago. Some of you who who knew me back then may remember a time where my face and my neck were always red. And that's because every night in my sleep, I would scratch myself, because there was this immense itch that felt like bugs crawling on my skin and biting me. So sometimes I would wake up and I'd find skin under my nails and sometimes blood under my nails because of the scratching and every day I'd pray for God to heal me multiple times a day sometimes I'd be groaning in the shower because because my skin was red and dry and swollen and cracked the water would be spraying into the cracks of my skin and it would it would be stinging and I prayed and I prayed and I I believed that God was my healer and my provider of everything I need. But as the days turned into weeks, and the weeks turned into months, and months turned into years, I started to lose my hope that God would heal me. I'd been to so many skin specialist appointments. I'd tried all the latest moisturizers and the strongest steroid creams, uh, even in winter, I was having cold showers because the specialist said it would help. I'd done allergy tests. And even at one point, Con would remember this, I bought handcuffs so that I would, could physically restrain myself while I was sleeping. But somehow, even in my sleep, I'd find ways to break out of the handcuffs and scratch myself. And you know what I thought to myself? This can't be right. As time went on, I subconsciously decided that the only logical reason for God not healing me is because he didn't want to heal me. I started to think to myself, maybe I've done something terribly wrong and that's why God isn't healing me. Or maybe I haven't done enough good for God to want to heal me. But then, I remembered something that I'd heard years ago. And I can't remember who said it, so unfortunately I can't give credit to the person. But what they said was, you always have a choice. What this means is, whatever happens, big or small, good or bad, expected or unexpected, you have a choice as to how you respond. When someone offends you, sure you might feel hurt, but you have a choice. You can choose either to respond with anger and offend them back, or you can choose to forgive them. You can choose to let your mind dwell on how angry you are and how it's so wrong that they said that, and how, you know what, you don't even like them anyway, and how they they have terrible fashion sense. Or you can choose to think about the good things about them and that they're just another person who needs Jesus. Jesus. Because of this revelation, I no longer say things like, you made me angry, because no one can make me anything. I choose how I respond, but I need to make that conscious decision to choose how I respond. So even if someone steals your car, steals your clothes, steals your money, steals your dog, you can choose to be angry, you can choose... To, be, to continue to dwell on the hurt, or you can choose to keep trusting that God will bring justice and that God will supply your every need. This revelation turned my life upside down in a good way. And so going back to my story, I decided that even though I seemingly had every reason to give up on my hope that God would heal me, I chose to continue praying every day for healing. I chose to continue to seek his will for my life even though I wasn't seeing this prayer being answered. I chose to continue to believe that God is my healer and protector and provider despite my circumstances. It took several years for me to finally be free of of these skin issues. But you know what? I learned to rely on God so much more because of it. I was able to have so much peace and joy through it because I made that choice. My healing didn't come the way I expected it to, nor as quickly as I wanted it to. But because of my choices, I came out of this trial with a stronger relationship with God and with more peace than I had before the trial. So what are you hoping for from God that you're about to give up on because it isn't meeting your expectations? Is it seeing a relationship be restored? Is it seeing a loved one find Jesus? Are you hoping for God to meet a financial need? Or maybe you're hoping that God will finally reveal himself so powerfully to you and remove any doubts you have about him, but... Reality isn't meeting your expectations, so you're ready to give up. Don't give up. When things aren't right in your life, you have a choice. You can choose to either react with disappointment, or you can respond by continuing to hope in the promises of God. Now, since we're in church... We should probably read something from the Bible. So, if you've got your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Luke chapter one, verse 26. Today we're gonna to talk about childbirth. The birth of Jesus. So right. don't worry. Don't worry. I saw Kong getting you a bit uncomfortable. It's alright, you'll see it soon. It's okay. We're gonna look at the hope that Mary was given. And how she chose to respond in her this can't be right moments. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. I found this to be an interesting response because if an angel came to me and said, Greetings, Alex, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. I'd be like, Yes! What you got for me, God? Like, Give it to me. But Mary was greatly troubled. And for some reason, my mind went to those times where the husband comes home with a, with a bouquet of roses and a box of chocolates, and then the wife, instead of saying, oh, you're so lovely, because this is what all women sound like, oh, you're so lovely, husband, I love you. Instead, she says, what have you done now? <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying this is what Mary was thinking, that's just what came to my head. Anyway, I digress. Let's continue. Mary was given the hope that she would miraculously give birth to the Son of God and that this Son would rule Israel and that his kingdom would never end. Every December, we hear the Christmas story of Mary being a virgin, being told that she's going to give birth to the Son of God. And we see pictures of cute Mary riding a little donkey to Bethlehem Or we see scenes of perfection like this, where even the animals are smiling. (laughs) And you know, I I can't comment, maybe the animals were smiling. I'm, I'm sure it was a very joyous occasion. But when I see these pictures, I don't believe them. I don't believe that Mary's circumstances, her journey to Bethlehem, the birth, nor how she felt were the bliss that these images portray. When Mary was told that she would become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, she knew that Joseph would know that the baby wasn't his. Mary, therefore, would have been aware that agreeing to God's plan could mean rejection by her new husband, it could mean disappointment and dishonor to her family, and it could mean shame from her community. On top of this, Jewish law at the time stated that adultery, and this is what it would have looked like because Mary was pregnant before she and Joseph had come together, adultery was punishable by death. So when following God meant probable rejection, disappointment, shame, and possible death, how did Mary respond? May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary chose to put her hope in God's promise, despite all of these fears and worries. But then after going through all of this, Mary's getting close to her full term in pregnancy when this happens, Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Mary and Joseph went for a nice little stroll from Nazareth to Bethlehem, right? Wrong. It was not a nice little stroll at all. The walk from Nazareth to Bethlehem was approximately 150 kilometers long it's estimated to have taken anywhere from several days to almost two weeks to travel. To give you a bit of context, this is like walking from Preston's in the bottom left of the blue line all the way up to Gosford, the top right, and then back to Sydney in the the lower right. Now, I enjoy leisurely strolls. I like the adventure of a long bushwalk. But 150 kilometers? No thanks. This, that would not be for me. And now I'm not going to pretend like I know what it's like to be pregnant. But I'm sure that if I was in Mary's shoes, I'm almost full term, I'm carrying the Son of God in my womb, and then I hear that some Roman dude has just told us, you've got to walk 150 kilometers, you know what I would say? This can't be right. You go walk 150 kilometers, Caesarus, Julius, Pontius, Augustus, whatever your name is. I'm carrying the king of Israel, so I'm basically royalty. You can't tell me what to do. If God has truly called me to carry his son, surely I wouldn't be made to walk 150 kilometers, especially when I'm so close to giving birth. And then even after doing this whole trek, there's no room for me. And then I have to put this newly born son of God into a dirty feeding trough that animals eat out of. At this point, I think a lot of us would be questioning if God really cared. And we'd be wondering why we signed up for this in the first place. But how did Mary choose to respond? Before what we're about to read, angels have just appeared to some nearby shepherds. And they've told them that the Savior of Israel has just been born and that they would find him laying in a manger. So we'll continue from Luke chapter 2, verse 16. So they hurried off and found... This is the shepherds. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She chose to focus on how God was fulfilling his promise rather than focusing on what was uncomfortable, what was difficult or what was outside of her expectations. But even after all this, Jesus didn't start his active ministry of teaching and healing until he was 30 years old. In saying that, though, I do wonder if Mary ever came across times with baby Jesus like this. I have wondered, would Would Jesus be a cheeky baby? Would he jump around in his cot when he's meant to sleep? Don't know. But 30 years is a very, very, very long time. Even still, we see that when Jesus performed his first miracle, which was turning water into wine, he did so at Mary's request. Mary recognized that God's promises are not subject to our schedules. And so even after 30 years had passed since since she received the promise from God, she still chose to continue living in the hope she had received all that time ago. Now it's important that I mention here that the hope I'm talking about is not just wishful thinking, because there's, there's no power in simply wanting something to happen. To be able to confidently hope in God, we need two important components. Firstly, to hope in, Firstly, we need to hope in the promises of God. We're not hoping in getting rich so that we can live the high life. We're not hoping for revenge on someone who mistreated us. We're not hoping to never have any difficulty in life. I'm not talking about the hope that you have of your favorite soccer team winning the premiership or the hope of finally getting that financial security because of all the Bitcoin you have. No, I'm talking about the hope that you have and believing that God will fulfill his promises to us. Secondly, we need to do our part. We need to live God's way. What I'm saying is God's promises often come with a prerequisite, with a condition. We need to play a part. He says, if you do this, then I promise to do this. Let's have a look at some examples. In John 3.16, we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him, that's the condition, shall not perish but have eternal life. That's the promise. Matthew 11.28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. That's the condition. And I will give you rest. That's the promise. Romans 10 verse 9, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that's the condition, you will be saved. That's the promise. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. There's your condition. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart's and your mind in Christ Jesus. That's the promise. And one more, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. The promise is at the start. You will seek me and find me, and here's the condition, when you seek me with all your heart. So when we do our part, he'll do his part. We believe in him, and we will not perish but have eternal life. We come to him, he will give us rest. We declare with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and, dec- and believe that he raised Jesus from the dead and we will be saved. Or with this one, we seek him with all our heart and we will find him. But it's not saying, come on a Sunday and sing some songs to me and then you will find me. It's saying, seek me with all your heart. So no matter what it costs, no matter how much time it takes, no matter what relationships might be broken when I choose to follow Jesus, no matter if I might be looked, looked over for that job promotion because I follow Jesus, no matter what it costs, no matter what my other desires are, seek Him with all your heart, and then you will find Him. But you might be wondering how you can trust that God will fulfill all His promises. I'm glad you asked, Danny. Good question. He knows what you're going through. God has been in this game a long time, since before you were born, before anything you've read about or heard about. God was here. He sees everything. He knows everything. He knows every single one of your thoughts, even before you think them. And he can relate to you because he came down as Jesus and lived a human life with all its troubles, difficulties, stresses... With all its betrayal, with all its hurt, and with all its pain, he knows what you're going through. Secondly, there's nothing too difficult for him. God created the body you're living in. With its ability to grow, with its ability to constantly learn new information and acquire new skills, he created the billions of species that we see in the world around us. He created this planet we we inhabit. He created the sun, the stars, all the other planets in the universe. We read that he can hold back the sea. He can conquer nations. He can give sight to the blind. He can take away sickness. He can transform the hardest of hearts and he can even raise the dead to life. Our God is a God of the impossible. And therefore there is literally nothing too difficult or too big or too strong, or too evil that he can't overcome and turn for your good. There is nothing too difficult for God. And thirdly, he loves you. God gives you his guidance, direction, wisdom, because he loves you. He promises you freedom, purpose, joy, Patience, he, he promises provision, peace, just to name a few things. He does all this because he loves you. God gives you his guidance, his direction, his wisdom, because he loves you. He promises you freedom, purpose, joy, peace, protection, strength, provision, just to name a few, because he loves you. Jesus came to earth as a human and allowed himself to be rejected, mocked, tortured, and killed. He paid the price that we were meant to pay for our own wrongdoing because he loves you. The Bible is full of God's acts of his immense love for us. So as long as we do our part in living the way that he's called us to, we can confidently put our hope In God's promises because we've seen God to be true to his promises all throughout history and we see that in the Bible all throughout history God has been true to his promises and therefore he'll continue to be true today because God is the same yesterday today and forever so what do you do when life doesn't go according to your expectations. If living God's way might mean rejection from your friends and disappointment from your family, like it did for Mary, do it anyway. Do it anyway because you can confidently hope and expect that God will love and accept and value you and call you His child when you live His way. If living God's way means getting out of your comfort zone, going to a new place, speaking to new people, being in situations that you'd rather not be in, like it did for Mary, do it anyway. Do it because you can hope and expect that God will guide you and that he will give you the strength and wisdom that you need. If hoping in a promise means waiting for 30 years, be willing to wait 40 years, be willing to wait fifty years, because you can hope and expect that God's timing is perfect, and no word from God will ever fail. So, what have you been hoping for? You might be thinking, "This all sounds nice, Alex." But I've lost so much that I have nothing left to hope for. Maybe you've listened to everything I've said, but... You just don't see how God could bring something good out of your situation. You don't see how God could use someone as broken as you. The spring in your step is gone. The the joy you had has now faded. Your hope is dead. Friends, Mary's hope died too. Mary's hope was her son, Jesus Christ. He was supposed to be the son of God whose kingdom would never end, but Mary watched Jesus, her hope, die on a cross. But Jesus was not finished yet. Jesus Christ, the savior of the world, the king above all kings, the name above all names, did not stay on that cross He rose from the grave to conquer sin, to conquer death, and to give you a hope that can never be taken away. God wants to resurrect your joy. God has a purpose for you, a purpose that no one else can fulfill except you. God wants to free you from the baggage of your past. He wants to restore your relationships. What if God allowed you to lose that job so that you would realize that the security of his presence is much greater than the security of a job or of finances? What if God is allowing you to experience this pain so that as you seek him through it with all your heart, you'll experience a peace that you've never known before? Whatever's going on in your life right now, and whatever may come in your future, remember, you always... Have a choice. Choose to live the way he's called you to live. Choose to do your part and trust and hope that God will do his part in fulfilling his promises. If you don't know what God's promises are or if you don't know the way that God has called you to live, have a read through the Bible and talk, talk to one of the leaders here. We would love to, to talk you through it and to guide you into the way that God wants you to live, because that's the best way that you could ever live. And if you've been hoping for things that aren't in line with the way that He wants us to live, I challenge you to set your heart instead on the things of God. And I promise you that if you truly seek Him with all your heart, then you will find greater joy you will find greater peace. You will find a greater purpose than you have ever known. And I'm speaking from experience. Let me pray for you. God, we are sorry today for putting, in, for putting our hope in anything other than you. God, we're sorry if we've put our hope in money or in the big house or the new car or the job or the reputation or or the relationship with someone else, God. And Lord, we're sorry for hoping for things that are selfish or for things that are not honoring to you. We choose to repent of that today, God, and instead we choose to put our hope and our trust in you as we seek you with all our heart and as we live the ways that you have called us to live. Thank you, God, that just because my finances might be tight at the moment that doesn't mean that you've stopped being my provider. Thank you, God, that even when I don't know where I'm headed in life, you are still the one who was a lamp to my feet and who was a light to my path. Thank you that even if my friends leave me and my family turns their back on me and even if I give up on myself, still you stand beside me and you go before me and you never leave me nor forsake me. God, thank you that even though I can't see any way that this situation could turn out for good, I can still choose to hope in your promises because you are able to do immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. So Lord, help us in every situation to continue living the way that you have called us to live and help us to choose to always hope in your promises because you know exactly what we're going through And because there is nothing too difficult for you. And because you love us more than we could ever know. In Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the LifeGate Church Podcast. Our church is a place to discover the freedom and purpose that Jesus offers.